0: Six, five, four, three, two, one. How about we
1: do it again? Six,
0: Six seven, four, three, two, one. I think
1: I'm more it. Okay,
0: let's try one more time. I definitely didn't. Like him review. Make him review. Like him reveal. Six.
1: Five. Five.
0: Four. Three. Two. One. Hello and welcome to episode 193 of Rank and Review. I, as always, am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. This episode, we're going to be talking about more tales of madness. That's six films with theme of madness, or the examination of characters who are insane, or going insane, or some combination thereof. My guest will be regular contributor Mr. Jason Dubray, he of the Shelf Shedding Movie Podcast, so uh, definitely give his podcast a listen. He's always great to have on board. And it's an interesting conversation, A, because they're really tough, really ugly movies, and B, because we disagree a lot. And I guess that's not surprising for Debray and I. We kind of mix it up quite a bit. But the thing is, and I I don't want to put words in Jason's mouth, but I agreed with a lot of what he had to say, despite disagreeing with him overall about some of the takes on the movies. I get that these movies are, you know sensitive to some people, or that will trigger things in some people that that can really easily jump the line to being, you know, offensive or aggravating or just inappropriate. It's funny that the movies that honestly get, like, shamed by other people a lot, like your slasher movies or your sort of thoughtless stalker type of films, are dismissed as kind of generic wasted exploitation, but these films, as dark as they are, are considered kind of pedigreed Oscar bait. They're on the same subject, and if anything, they're uglier and moodier and more disgusting than your industry standard slasher movie who just wants to entertain. So there's a lot of movies that I respect on this list, but maybe less that I enjoy I hope you have feedback for me. If you do, you can send it to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankinreview.ca. And thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. Please tell your other movie-loving friend about the show. Now let's do this. Let's, let's do this conversation about crazy people with the understanding there will be coarse language and there will be spoilers. What, am I crazy? Mr. Jason DeBray returns once again to Rank and Review. Thank you so much for being here in these strange days. We picked a list here (laughs) called, like, Tales of Madness, Psychological Horrors. And there has been times in the past where I've given you the heads up when you're watching these movies to maybe not watch them back to back to back, because it'll, like, you, it'll blow out the tires so to speak it'll be too much this was an incredibly heavy list like an incredibly dark brutal list so I guess just out the gate are you okay buddy <laughs> how are you feeling about this regrets <laughs> I, I, I was done with the list um, earlier than you were it was mostly a necessity because I had a bunch of movies I need to watch for my own show. So uh, you told me not to watch them too close together. I sort of listened to that with the first couple I saw, but then I watched a whole bunch, like maybe the last four
2: in a short period of time. Uh, I would say the first four movies I watched did have that kind of a, an effect on me. I mean, other times you can bore me with this and I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. But this time I would agree. I would agree it, it was pretty dark. A few of these movies were disturbing. Um, yeah, there's no doubt about it. These, these are... This is going to be a heavy show.
0: Yeah. Um, I think my criticism may be a little bit more brutal than it has been in the last several episodes we've done together Okay. This time. But so I actually, should be ready yeah, for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hoping we don't have to get mad at each other. I was just having flashbacks to... Um, heat and things like that earlier today, so... Oh, Jason, I can't stay mad at you. Um, No, that's okay. These are weird movies, and a lot of the times when people know that I like the horror genre, they see me wearing a Halloween shirt or a zombie shirt, you know, they get this look on this face. Like, how can you watch those movies? They're so ugly, they're so violent. You know what? I I can watch some Friday the 13th and have fun and have a smile on my face. Uh, The thing about these movies, and some of them are good and some of them aren't, but like... They're not designed to put a smile on your face. It's interesting like when we're looking at movies as escapism or as entertainment that like these ones are on the list. A lot of them are fairly popular titles. People will say, yeah, I really liked that movie. But I think what it comes down to with these ones is um, are they strong enough to leave an impact? And whether or not you want to revisit them, were they worth it? Were they worth putting yourself through this you know, terrible psychological grotesquerie uh, so that, you know, what was the point of it? What did you learn? What did you gain? Because if you didn't, then I guess I can sort of feel about these movies the way other people feel about Friday the 13th. The difference is, is that Friday the 13th has no attachment to the real world, as far as I'm concerned. And there are people that are very, very sick as portrayed in at least some of these movies. Some of them are cartoons, but we'll talk about it. Um, so I think when people feel like, I don't know, this is the horror genre is like irresponsible or somehow taking advantage or extorting tragedy and turning it into entertainment, they shouldn't be necessarily talking about Friday the 13th or Halloween. They should be talking about, you know, failed attempts at movies like I saw the devil or or Henry portrait of a serial killer. If you're going to take it seriously, I mean, respect. I guess. But if you're not going to take it seriously, then play in the fairground. You know, just have fun with it. I think that a few unintentional laughs, <laughs> notwithstanding, the intent of these movies were to kind of get under our skin as much as anything else. Um, do you value that in your entertainment? Would you rather just have a laugh, or do you want to be moved or shaken by your entertainment? <laughs> Well, it depends on how I'm feeling. I mean, in the last while, I think it's the, the COVID stuff, I, I have started to get... I don't think when I was younger I got this idea that you, you, you've you talked about in your show with Friday the
2: 13th, if you're just looking for something to put on and you don't want to think too hard and you want to just have fun. Yeah. I've started to do that a little bit more with those movies. Um, and sort of get behind the fantasy aspect of that a lot more than... I mean, if you want to talk about what's considered a movie epic now, you would say The Avengers is a movie epic. But I'm watching The Avengers while they try to ground some stuff in reality. I know I'm watching a fantasy. Yeah. But if I'm watching Schindler's List, I'm watching something that actually happened and is very, very disturbing. Both are considered epic movies from the times that they were re- released. From watching Friday the 13th, I can remove myself from it and say this is ridiculous and in some cases even, even laugh at the absurdity of it I can't <laughs> laugh at the absurdity of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer or a lot of a lot of uh, the movies that we're talking about um, and so I, I feel like those who don't actually watch horror but criticize horror they think all horror movies are this Right now it's not to me it's not a bad thing to get under my skin as watching movies and i've appreciated that over the years and movies that make me think um there's some pretty dark and sharp satire in, in the in the better movies that we're talking about today yeah i appreciate um so i think sometimes it's okay to be disturbed uh about a movie and to take a look at reality a little bit more i feel like for the last 20 some years we've really avoided reality with our movie watching um and the, like the re- realism of the 70s and the 90s is kind of an old concept with movie making. And once in a while, there'll be something that will come around. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it's because we have so many tragedies mm-hmm. in the world happening that people just want to escape, yeah. but to their movie watching, And they don't want to look at uh, at some of the dark realities of the films we're talking about.
0: And sometimes, fair enough. Again, like there's different tastes for different days. But no, generally speaking, I don't look to the movies to make me feel bad. That's not what I typically go to the movies for. Um, Some of these movies do make me feel bad. And maybe for that reason, my returning to them, I won't revisit them the same way. Like, let's say for the sake of argument that I Saw the Devil is a significantly better movie than Fist of Legend. Okay? I'm going to watch Fist of Legend way the fuck more than I'm ever going to watch I Saw the Devil. Right? (laughs) Uh, I... I appreciate what you're trying to do uh, and if you're talking about something that's real and something that you know is a historical event, it makes sense. But you got to watch that you're not being exploitive. and I think you do owe your audience a minimal of entertainment value. Despite the subject, you got to give your audience a reason to keep watching. <laughs> Here are the themes
2: that I kind of pulled out. They aren't true of every movie that we're talking about. And so if you're listening to this and you find this to be entertaining, I'm not, I'm not quite sure um, what to say about that. But uh, we, we do have more than one reference um, to the idea that Donald Trump is a successful businessman in these movies. Maybe yes. Um, we have repressed sexual issues. We have uh, a lot of violence against women and the psychopathology of men um, are are all a part of it and so it was was interesting actually some of them were less dark to me and they were almost like a relief in this bunch Right. and I don't know and I almost found myself liking and I don't know if my list is influenced by that a little bit uh, even though I was affected by some of the dark movies they maybe didn't rank as high for me as as the ones that are maybe a little I can sort of remove
0: myself a little bit more from. So right. um, the other thing that I don't like about these types of movies and we should probably get started, but I just want to say it. Yeah. I don't like as an audience member being shamed by the movie. I don't like when a filmmaker says <clears throat> the only reason this movie exists is because you want it. So you're complicit in this violence and shame on you. The whole Natural Born right, Killers, right. funny games kind of approach to filmmaking. I find so it offensive. Games games is terrible, and there's elements of that in some of the movies we're talking about. Yeah, I just don't like, especially, like, I maybe I'm right, maybe you're right, but I don't like the assumption that I'm an idiot and that you made this movie to teach me something, mm-hmm. to teach me a lesson, to slap my hand. No, fuck you. If you're not making a movie to entertain me, Fuck you. <laughs> That's sort of where I want to start. Is there anything you wanted to say by way of introduction before I list off these movies and we get started? No, no. I'm, um, I'm ready to review. Okay. We're going to talk about Falling Down from much maligned filmmaker Joel Schumacher. We're going to talk about Raising Cain from much celebrated director Brian De Palma. We're going to talk about an absolutely brutal thriller called I Saw the Devil. We're going to talk about infamous subject, American Psycho. We're going to talk about Lynn Ramsey's We Need to Talk About Kevin. And we're going to finish it off with Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Thank you for subjecting yourself. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for putting yourself through these. And uh, let's get into it. What kind of
2: vigilante are you? I'm just trying to get home
0: with my little girl's birthday.
2: Give us your briefcase. If everybody will stay out of my way, here. You want my briefcase?
1: Here's my briefcase.
2: There's the briefcase. Huh? Wait, 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 wait. There's a free, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Then
0: nobody will get hurt. Warner Brothers presents.
2: Say, would you get off my golf course? I yeah. am.
0: The story of an
1: everyday guy who refused.
0: Five. Whoa.
1: To take it one more day.
2: So we got a nutcase with a bag full of guns. He's in Hollywood right now and he's heading west. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's other people waiting to use the phone here. Now, if you go up against this guy,
0: be careful. I think it's out of order.
2: Somebody in a white shirt and tie gunned down a phone, be three blocks from the Whammy Burger.
0: Michael Douglas.
2: In America, we have the freedom of speech. Come on, if I want to be a bargain, let her buy a ticket.
1: The right to disagree.
0: Robert Duval.
1: I know who this guy is.
0: In a Joel Schumacher film.
2: What are you doing to the street? We're fixing it. What the hell does it look like? See, I don't think anything's wrong with the street. I think you're just trying to justify your inflated budgets. Well, I guess so. I'll give you something to fix. What are you... Hey, (laughs) Charlie!
0: Falling down. A lot of people seem to have derision for Joel Schumacher. And I think a lot of that has to do with the Batman movies he made. And even if I agreed that both of those Batman movies were wall-to-wall terrible, I only think one of those two movies is absolutely wall-to-wall terrible. <laughs> um, it seems like by dismissing Schumacher, you're throwing a lot of good movies under the bus. Uh, and one of those, I think, is Falling Down. A movie that was like pretty edgy for the time it came out in, but today, I don't think would get made. I think that this button-pushing thriller starring Michael Douglas is a guy we know as D-Fence, who has lost his job, is jammed in gridlock, and finally decides he needs to get out of his car and walk. And he goes on this epic quest across Los Angeles to get to his daughter's birthday party. In his head, he wants to deliver her a present. But as the day progresses and more and more violent incursions happen and we see his psychological disintegration, We start to wonder if he's not going there to kill her, him, his ex-wife, or some combination of all of those. And it's really dramatically intense. It's racially charged. It was actually being filmed right on the precipice of the LA riots. And, you know, it was one of those movies that seemed to come out almost at a time where it was going to exacerbate things. It was going to push a nerve that people didn't need pushed right now. Um, the, the, Reviewers were pretty split on it. I think it did well financially, but I've always felt that not only is Falling Down unsung compared to how good it is as to its recognition, but that Michael Douglas's performance is almost more valid today than it was then in the era of cancel culture and like, uh, you know, nobody fits in any one mistake or any bad thing you ever said on the internet in the late 90s will undo you completely uh, the the guys like defense living their paranoid lives it's only gotten worse since falling down and falling down from the mid 90s was then a cautionary tale and i think it's every bit as relevant today where does jason land on falling down well falling down
2: was a uh, reason i i chose this show i you would Uh, sent it to me a few times before and I think initially I thought it was a little bit too obvious, uh, the movies that we were, the list that we were looking at, because I thought, well, these are kind of in the wheelhouse of the movies I normally watch and I've been wanting to stretch myself with guest appearances on your show. Um, But what really got me thinking about Falling Down Again was the fact that when we did our 90s show, you had it listed, I forget which number, it was one of the early numbers or or later numbers if you want.
0: I think Uh, like Taxi Driver, you could thinly qualify it as a horror movie. I
2: agree. I I just wasn't thinking of it that way. And I, I had the memory of watching it as a teenager. And I think I maybe did what a lot of critics and audiences did at the time, was dismiss it as this action thriller. And watching it in 2021, it's a look inside the heads of... Um, again, I feel like I'm labeling people Trump supporters, but the people who support Trump and and who have seen their world change and move past them, and they don't like it, and are starting to become militant and violent. Yeah. And this seemed like a real extreme or dramatic version of what somebody would actually do who's living in Los Angeles and got a bit of. Um, sick of of being in gridlock traffic and the rules around breakfasts at fast food restaurants and um, not being served uh, perhaps not being able to understand the people who are um, at stores um, due to immigration we see this all happen and it seemed in the 90s to be a little bit removed from reality now I think it's very very much close to home and it's an incredibly effective movie it is uh um, not gonna be a surprise it's rank very high for me michael douglas himself said this was I, I don't know when this happened or if he's changed his mind since but that this was his best film performance his father at the time kirk douglas said it was his best his son's best film performance as well right. uh and it's one that was released kind of i believe that year in april uh, and it was kind of forgotten about as far as like the, the awards type of a legacy I know you don't care about that that much but uh, I would really encourage people to check out Falling Down um, but it, there's some really, really really disturbing
0: stuff the thing that disturbed me when I was a kid watching it was when he goes into the, that back room in that, um, in that military shop where the guy sort of discovers how much of a neo-nazi that yeah. that guy is uh, and, and how that Nazi yeah. sort of considers him, like, bros. He sees something uh, yeah. in the Michael Douglas thing. that Oh, we're, we're brothers. We can relate to each other. You hate fags. I hate fags. I'm racist. You're no. racist. Michael Douglas doesn't think yeah. of himself in those terms, right? No. No, not at all. No,
2: he, he's trying to get home, and the world is caving in on him. And, uh, yeah, it's fabulous. Uh, I think one of the things I... Because I was fully prepared again for how good Douglas is, and again this, this recent viewing, I think I've forgotten how good Robert Duvall is as well. Robert Duvall.
0: And now his character on paper sounds to me like a cliche. It is he, a cliche. He's that day it doesn't and, sound like a cliche. It is a cliche. It is the one thing is. about this movie that I would change had I the power. Because Pendergast, played by Robert Duvall, is on his last day before retirement. For real. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. And he, you know,
2: he lands upon this, like he, just a, kind of the fates come together. Uh, and yeah, that's been done in a lot of action movies. But I think somehow Duvall and the, the story with his, he's retiring because of his wife's mental health issues. And he's uprooting his entire life. To go to this place where she's happy, um, and those sacrifices he's making make him a lot more of an interesting character than uh, in the usual cop action movie where it's you know retirement and last day. Uh, typically, that character also doesn't make it till the end of the movie, and in this case, it's a little bit different. I mean, um, I I would defend um, maybe not the writing of the role, but how good Duvall is at turning it from uh, a cliché on paper into a full-fledged character and human being. And really, I mean, Michael Douglas is, I don't know if he's completely
0: his equal in the film, but uh, they were both very good together, particularly in that, that climactic scene. Well, there is so. some strange corollaries. Duvall's marriage isn't completely broken, but you get the feeling like it's pretty rocky. Um, and both of them are getting disrespect and like, uh, basically dehumanized by their own environment. Douglas spent his life dedicated to defense and was laid off unceremoniously after 20 some years. Duvall's put in all of this work, uh, as a police officer and deserved neither the respect of his colleagues or it seems even his himself. Like, um, they're both really downtrodden, but Pendergast hasn't thrown in the towel. The defense, Michael Douglas' character, another reason I think that it's hard not to relate him to sort of the radical right of today is he does feel like a character lost in time, the whole make America great again. His glasses and his tight shirt, he looks like he's walked out of the 50s, right? And the haircut. And the haircut, yeah. He he looks like he he came out of a different time. And there's two things wrong with this mentality. A, things weren't perfect in the 50s. (laughs) Uh, And B, expecting things to still be the same 40 years later is ridiculous. Like, both of those things are are on their face. You know, it's it's too much to ask of the world. But this whole make America great again, which, by the way, is a slogan Trump nakedly stole from Ronald Reagan, is this sort of false political promise that, like, it used to be good, you guys, but if you elect me, I will bring those good days back. No matter where we are, there are people like Defense and Pendergrass who feel like the world is falling apart, and it's not like it was, and it's not like it's supposed to be. It's not just exclusive to Michael Douglas. I also think that the movie does things that would be hard or uncomfortable to do today that I think were appropriate. Yeah, I think that if a a white middle-aged guy in a briefcase unknowingly started walking through the worst neighborhood in Los Angeles, he would very likely get mugged very quickly. At the time this came out, that was like, oh, that was making some sort of racist assumption, right? The Korean, uh, guy who's running the convenience store that yeah. Michael Douglas comes in and just destroys the store because he's so frustrated that a, the guy is has these exorbitant prices, has no customer service, and has this really thick, really hard-to-penetrate accent, and is doing nothing to meet Michael Douglas halfway. Now, the guy in the store doesn't deserve a beating, and he doesn't deserve to have the store smashed, but the frustration that Michael Douglas is feeling is terrifyingly relatable. I don't like Michael Douglas, but more, I don't like that I can relate (laughs) to Michael Douglas. And this thing, this movie, really really confronts you with that if everybody thinks of like their worst day yeah where you're just having a bad day, nothing is going your way and um, I do think
2: uh, for the younger listeners this might be a little bit harder but now that I'm you know 40 plus I'm starting to understand where I, I sometimes have seen how younger people what they value how they act and I'm like oh I try to stop myself from thinking, oh, that's stupid, but there's still that, you know, devil in my shoulder saying, oh, things were much, much better when you were that age. Yeah. They weren't. I grew up in the, you know, I, I was born in the late 70s, but I grew up in the 1980s, for God's sake, you know, that was like uh, the sequel to the 1950s. Yeah. Um, and then... 90s were just so violent and so there's so much stuff going out of control. those weren't the good old days but there's this nostalgia and this autocorrect that we all have for when we grew up and there's some point in our lives if we're not careful where we think the world should have stopped like that and we should be judging the the progress uh and not always you know you know kind of uh thinking that it's the enemy or um uh, that the changes in
0: the world are the enemy or that change Um, is inevitable. It's like somehow we're going to plateau and that's it. We've just made it. And that's just not how it's it's not how it works. No, no. there's, There's a lot of stuff to think about in this movie. It's not a dumb
2: action movie. And I'm afraid, I don't know if it was marketed that way or what, but I, I know, um, I, I, and uh, I, I have never completely understood. I think it is the Batman thing with Schumacher because I like him a lot. I like this little movie he did called Phone Booth. Um, I, you know, Flatliners. I, I put on that '90s show.
0: It's Lost Boys, baby. Lost Boys. Lost Boys <laughs> is a masterpiece. I, I like the John Grisham stuff he did. He directed A Time to Kill. I mean,
2: yeah. uh, if you look at his filmography, it's varied and it's interesting. And, sure, when you work
0: as much as he did, you're going to have some duds along the way. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, th-
2: this is this is a movie that needs to be rediscovered, I think. And I'm not sure
0: that it has. Well, and again, we're, about, we're going to talk about Brian De Palma in a minute. Brian De Palma's made some terrible movies, but he's also made yep. some great movies. But his reputation is secure. It's weird to me. There's one other scene I wanted to, to mention um, uh, as far as this dark relatability, because... Like, I don't want to come off like I am a racist or I am like an over-a-hill frustrated guy. But just that you can... I would never do what Michael Douglas does, but I've had those evil thoughts in my head. There's a scene where he's walking across a golf course. And these two old fellas are, are teeing off. And just the fact that someone is on their golf course completely makes these two idiots fall apart. Like... He was going to be out of their line of sight and drive in like a few seconds all they have to do is let him walk across yeah. but that this poor person would dare to walk in front of them while they're trying to play their rich person game in their ridiculous outfits that they're playing it almost makes one of those two guys as angry as michael douglas has been throughout this day and it's sort of i think hints to the fact that everybody has this bubbling thing underneath them everybody has this idea that things aren't how they're supposed to be and if everything could align with the way they should be in my head the world would be a better place but everybody's looking at it from a different perspective Uh, same thing with the Uh, fast food scene have you ever gotten frustrated in the lineup at the fast food restaurant and just wanted to scream at someone hello well michael douglas essentially does that except for he has an uzi in his hand right yeah so So i feel
2: more sorry for the
0: fast food employees yeah. than I do for the title golfers. Um, I want to go back to that golf scene. Like I, Again, I'm, we've been
2: singing its praises. There's some scenes which are maybe a little bit much. I mean, the, the fact that this whole interaction leads to this uh, one of the golfers having a heart attack, I, I thought that was a little bit, uh, a step too much. Like yeah. just A few overwrought scenes in the movie uh, doesn't take away from its it's uh, subtle brilliance. Yeah. But I, I just want to point out that there are a few things in there that maybe are a little bit much. I mean, I, they, I, I, this is one of the ones I think it's very sharp satire as well as being an action thriller. And I think you could argue it is a horror
0: movie as yeah. well. Well, I think the scenes that I had the most problem with. And again, I love Duval in the movie. It was his interactions with his fellow employees at work, you know, the whole birthday cake sequence, or the fake speech that he gets from his boss yep. saying, I'm supposed to give you this speech to try and talk you into staying, but you don't want to stay and come on, we don't want you to stay, basically was the, the gist of it. Um or his phone calls with his wife. Yeah, right was, it was kind of a- character, Raymond J. Barry was a jerk. Yeah, he's an uh, asshole. And yeah. the police captain who's a jerk. We've seen that a million times before. Mm-hmm. That that retirement thing with the stripper and all of that, that was all just a delay to create some suspense because he can't leave. He's trying to leave. His wife's keeping him on the phone with some insanity. Yeah. And he can't leave. And he knows that it's time urgent that he goes to that house to uh you know find out what's going on with this guy and uh, yeah. and his ex-wife and that's yeah, what we that want to get he, to we, we want to see this confrontation between Duval and Douglas yeah. that's what the movie's building to and maybe that's part of my frustration with those scenes this is like, this is just a delay to get us to that scene yeah. and they don't feel as necessary yeah. okay. uh, one more question
2: did you, did you say uh, did you say Barbara Hershey she just kind of plays the ex-wife but she, other, I mean, she does represent again, this was another modern thing about the police not believing abused women yep um, I, and I think that you could still pull a lot of stuff out from that now. But, but I, I'm i not sure that Barbara Hershey had a lot to do other than to be scared of her ex-husband. you
0: know. Yeah, but I think she does a good job of, you know, she sees it coming, but she has a hard time articulating it. And once she's convinced mm-hmm. it's coming, no one will believe her. I agree it's kind of a thankless part, but I also would say that she did a good job of it. I have one more question. Yeah, she did, she always did a job. I have one more question for you about the movie because I remember having a debate with someone about this. What do you think Michael Douglas's endgame was? Like, if Robert Duvall wasn't there and he got to that birthday party, what was going to happen?
2: I, I believe totally. He was going to kill his ex-wife. He may have, um, after that, realized what he did, and and then. And then kill himself and maybe his daughter, but I, I have less of a feeling like he was on a mission to kill his daughter. I think him taking the daughter and kidnapping her after he kills the ex wife, and after
0: that, who knows what happens. Yeah. That's my take on it. I don't think he was going to celebrate a birthday party. It's like everything had been taken from him. He used to have the family, he used to have the daughter, he used to have the job. He lost yeah. the marriage, he lost custody, and now he's lost the job. It's implied he's living at home with his mom. Right? And he just wants to go home. Yeah. He keeps on saying he's going home, but it's not his home anymore. So I kept on wondering what he really meant by going home. Uh, I think whether he was going to admit it to himself that that day was going to end bloody. <laughs> so, uh, in a way, him tricking Duvall into shooting him was the best outcome for this. But uh, not, of course, a lot of people got hurt in the left and right but there's another great scene and Douglas is so fucking good in this movie where uh he's yeah. he's clasped this little girl by the hand to to sort of hide out of the way with her and he had blood on his hand and he sees that she's got some of it on her and for a second he thinks that he's hurt her and he is so mortified that he that the thought that he could have even accidentally hurt this child, that he's practically in tears. He goes momentarily hysterical. I didn't hurt you. I didn't... I'm sorry. I didn't... Like, he he falls apart. So that makes me think, well, no, he he's not going to kill his daughter. But again, how else... How else does this end? It
2: doesn't end happy. I mean, it's a whole other chapter if he kidnaps his daughter. But yeah, if Robert Duvall had not been there, um, the suicide by cop if you will um he
0: i think uh was as happy an ending as the story could have so it's and this was one of the lighter movies that we yeah believe it or not this is yeah one of the lighter ones um and again it it leaves you with a lot to chew over um give give more respect to schumacher and definitely give more respect to falling down yeah agreed You know, I hate to bring this up, but you are married to the
2: perfect man. I don't know. Car popped up out of half moon marsh. Got a woman's body in it. And he's becoming awfully compulsive with Amy. He doesn't just take care of her. He studies her. What do we got now? Two moms disappear from the same playground. You could get us all put away for good. I have this horrible feeling that it has something
1: to do with his father.
2: I did nothing. I don't even exist. This thing you're doing means everything to the old man. I won't hurt her. She'll hurt you. we got to find these women now. I don't want to be walking behind any lousy coffins.
1: I want to know what you've
2: done with Amy. I don't know where she is. I do. Uh, you should never have gotten out. Dr.
1: Walheim.
2: I'm nothing but a cheap hoodlum. I am what you made me, Dad.
1: I know what you're going It's a bad thing, and I'm gonna tell. It was Fonzie! He did it
2: again! That's my wife. You saw us in the park together, didn't you? I'm not gonna let that loving wife of yours sell you down the river. Give me my child! What do you think?
1: I think...
0: Ah! So we've uh, talked about Schumacher and how his... For some reason, because he made a couple of really high-profile bad movies. His whole reputation was smeared. It seems like De Palma has like made a handful of really great movies, and for that, we always just bow at the altar of De Palma. And he is a technically great filmmaker. Don't get me wrong. Um, Raising Kane is not his best work, in my humble opinion. And I know that my opinion is different than yours. I believe it made your honorable mentions for best horrors of the 90s, right? Um, I believe so. I... I didn't like it when it came out, and I don't know how well it's aged, but here's something I've learned about the movie upon, before I watched it for this. Apparently, a fan made a recut of this movie so that we followed the John Lithgow's wife's storyline for the first act instead of John Lithgow, and completely restructured the movie. And De Palma himself saw the fan cut and liked it so much that when Scream Factory reissued the film... The fan cut was what made it, not the theatrical cut, which I'm re- re- reviewing here. And I think it's telling that De Palma—this isn't a director's cut; this is a fan's cut. And by all accounts, I haven't seen it. It makes way more sense than De Palma's word version. Now, whether or not Palma—De Palma—wanted it to make sense or his goal was to keep us on our toes or confused, I don't know. I love De Palma's style. He does got his classic long tracking shots, although he does go out of his way to bring attention to them in this movie, which he doesn't tend to do in other ones. And uh, I love his, you know, he's loyal to his actors. Uh, He works with John Lithgow a lot, and he worked with, uh, what's his name? (laughs) Stephen Bauer. Stephen Bauer, he's worked with several times before. And I like directors that are loyal to their their cast, you know? Uh, So there are things I like about it. And he's attempting to show us this uh, multiple personality disorder as brought to us by the amazing actor John Lithgow. I do think he's an amazing actor, but I think he's one of these big over-actors. He's definitely in the Charlton Heston, sort of Jack Lemmon school of not leaving anything behind in his performances. And it, they're not really asking him to, but the theatricality of it brings an, I think, unintentional humor to the movie, where there's lots of sequences where the music's blaring and like the stakes are rub- ramping up high, and they zoom in on a close-up of... of John Lithgow, and he delivers one of his punchy lines, and I'm supposed to be oh shit, and I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing at the ridiculousness of the movie, and I have to say, my opinion hasn't changed since the mid '90s. I think maybe I'm less disappointed because when I sat down in the theater, I was excited and wanted to be like lost in this amazing diploma thriller. So my my passion is less you know <clears throat> vitriolic than it used to be, but I cannot endorse *Raising Cain*. Not with so many other better De Palma thrillers. And this is not, you know, some Pat Project for Hire. He wrote and directed this. This is a Brian De Palma joint. And I think it's one of his worst. Just saying. One of his worst? Yeah. There's some bad ones along the way there. but I I don't know if he was saving face
2: with this, but he he claimed that that fan cut was uh, the movie, that that was the way he wanted to make the movie.
0: But he then, scripted he was it that
2: really way. His his yeah. Ryan La Palma, for one, he firmly established a Universal stu- er, um, Studios that produced the film, um, and he would be able to have total say over his movie. So, um, yeah, there, there are some things in here that I, I don't think I heard anything in there that I could argue against. I, I don't know if it's, again, pure nostalgia. We just talked about... Uh, moving with the
0: times and being honest about when you grew up. But, yeah. But uh, this was a, a summer where every movie that they had in Saskatchewan that old restricted no one under 18 admitted. Yeah, And I was at the age where every one of those movies because it was Forbidden Fruit or whatever I
2: wanted to see and Raising Cane was one of them late in that summer of 1992 and when I finally saw it I was just you know, I, I have this affection for this whole series of these um psychological thrillers that came out that particular year and uh, Raising Kane is one of them. I would say it's a tough thing to say uh, but one of the weak links is Lipgow and Lipgow is a big part of the movie. Yep, um,
0: Because I think you're right what kind of works in a way like Lipgau here's something nice to will say about him he's one of the few actors who can be like the sitcom dad or he can have these really nicey nice roles, and then every once in a while he comes up with like a, a villain in the TV show Dexter, or um, some of his other De Palma films. He's been really scary. in. Yeah. And... either he can be some really scary characters, but he can also be some really like genuinely nice characters. This role probably appealed to him because he got to do a bit of both. Yeah. And I think he was hoping to play to his strengths. Some of the characters work. Some of the characters I'm not sure work as well. Um, when, when he plays his mother, which is a really key character, I think that might be one of the ones where you giggle a little bit. I, I didn't giggle, but
2: probably somewhere in my brain I was giggling a little bit because that, and, and it's a really key moment uh, where, where we see that character come out. You know, um, towards the end of the film, distracted me a little bit was this uh, his the older Norwegian father uh, who was responsible for all of this. He looked a lot like Anthony Hopkins. yeah I don't think I noticed that. I don't know. Um, uh, it's a weird side note, but I guess what I'm a sucker for, and maybe that's why De Palma. Doesn't get the criticism that Joel Schumacher gets. Um, I also think of somebody like Francis Ford Coppola, who's considered a great director now. even though know, I can't name the last time
0: he made a, a classic film. It's been a but while. These guys who were in like the, the late '60s, '70s, like these all-star directors, it's almost like getting their, like a pass for life. Yeah. De style is so interesting, and I know he's you know. Paying homage to all kinds, of particularly Hitchcock in this film,
2: um, and uh, that other movie, that, the one that had the forced perspective, about um, um, the guy in England who is the Peeping Tom. the Peeping oh, Tom. Peeping Tom. Right. Yeah, there's lots of homages in there to this. Um, but I. It, it somehow works. Those long shots uh, that he does; those long takes.
0: So Frances Sternhagen, who I, for some reason, every time she's in the movie, I, I smile and I'm happy. She I like this, her, but she her part like, is terrible she, in this movie. She's a great actress, but she's an exposition dump in this movie. She, she is. But that sequence that over like multiple floors, where we're getting that information as they're walking along. Uh, I just technically that was. It was very interesting to me. Um, the kills are, are horrifying, uh, and just how it will switch. Uh, She was on Beverly Hills 90210, and she's the president of the actor uh, Sega Actra. Yes, now. I recognized um, her, but I didn't know her name. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, how that that whole sequence is led into, I uh, worked well for me. I also like to kind of think about the plot. I think he's a little bit too much of dreams within dreams happening, um, but uh, the, this focus on on the watch and, and the, like that that presence that Lolita Davidovich I like her too, uh, and Bernstein Bauer who had this previous affair and it's
2: being rekindled here. I like how that's all laid out um, and and how Liptow discovers it. Um, I really feel like I'm talking around this, but I, it's just a subjective thing where I, I, it's just a feast for my eyes and my senses. and I'm sitting there and I'm having a good time, yet I know that there are problems with this screenplay. I'll give you a very specific problem. This is a little bit more maybe with the filmmaking than the screenplay. Uh, let's get this child. And at one point there's two children in this car. Uh, You have have kids. I mean, I don't have kids, but I just spent some time with my newborn niece, right? Um, To have young children sit in a car
0: seat and make no noise for long stretches of time uh, (laughs) is very strange. No, it is strange, and the children are props.
2: They they were props, and they only sort of cried or made a fuss
0: when it was needed for for the plot. And somebody like De Palma should have been able to figure out
2: out um, those, those issues a bit
0: I also um, felt him bringing attention to this style like I said that long walk and talk with Francis Conroy you're talking about uh, like they start up in an office and then they start walking and then he keeps on grabbing her and pulling her in a different direction like, no 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 no. now we're going this way no, no 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 no, now we're going this way and I really felt to me like De Palma looking at the audience check out how long the shot is you guys look check it out look like he kept on drawing attention to it he had shots like that in the Untouchables. He's done, like, he loves those long shots. But I never felt him so desperately like, yeah, look at look at me, you guys. And I definitely felt that here. I I like Lolita Davidovich. I don't think she got a fair shake. Um, like, she was good in everything she was in, but most of the things she went in just didn't get as successful as they should have. But, like, her character is tough for me. A, because of what we're shown. We don't know... There's so much confusion in the movie. Like we don't know with her for the longest time, what was dream and what was reality and with all the split personalities of John Lithgow, when they first introduced his father, I wasn't even sure if his father was a real guy or just another one of his personalities, cause that would be a completely fair way to interpret it. It's so all over the place and so deliberately trying to confuse you that I start to wonder if there is any center to hold to it, This was an exercise in style. I think that he is a much better filmmaker than he is a screenplay writer. I think that the idea of, you know, having one actor play all the multiple roles of the personality, you know, as proved by uh, Shyamalan with Split, could be really well explored. The whole idea of this evil scientist who makes a guinea pig out of his own child to deliberately traumatize him and deliberately fracture him into different personalities, is an interesting concept for a horror movie but the movie to me is just batshit crazy another thing and this is going to the stinger end of the movie so i apologize (laughs) anyone's seen it lelita davidovich's character doesn't make any any sense like the father is killed but her husband who has tried to kill her and tried to kidnap her daughter is still at large And she goes with her daughter to the same park and lets her daughter run off into the trees out of her line of sight. All of this is completely ridiculous. And then the reveal of Lithgow in drag playing the mother character now. Like, A, this is a tired horror movie cliche. And the fact that they run it out on, you know, um, some sort of homosexuality being an affect of his craziness just rubs people the wrong way, especially in 1993. But this was the big, punchy, holy shit, ending point of the film. And I was pointing and howling at the screen, and not in a good way. Like, that's what we're going out on. This is our big, punchy ending. And if someone would have told me this was an Alan Smithy film, I would have believed it at that point. That's how far off the rails it went by the third act. Like that badass, lit down, um kind of mass murderer uh, brother or whatever is... The baddie.
2: Is the is is baddie. But it really is behind all of this and all these personalities, all the control, it's not an original idea, is the mother. Yeah. The mother is, is the one who is making him do all of these things. And it's the mother that survives and is taken over. Instead of, you know,
0: the, the nice dad, respected psychologist, uh, go uh, character. Uh, I, the other thing I want to kind of defend the wife role, um, it says like the first half, she's kind of a, a victim, uh, lamb for the slaughter, but she fights back. Oh, yeah. And,
2: uh, and so there's, you, you're just like, holy crap, like she's back from the dead. And that reveal is actually kind of freaky when they're looking at that baby monitor, and suddenly she's there. It's like, it, you know, is this a ghost or, or
0: you know? Hands down, the so best scene in the movie. movie a lot maybe I would have, if another filmmaker had made or may, not made in the style that, that De Palma had. But I, again, I really, really like this movie, and mm. I, I feel like I'm on Tommyknocker's ground again right. too, where I'm the only person. It is one of those things too and I'll admit this uh, again I got off on the wrong foot with the movie and like it sort of snowballed on me and you know sometimes once you got go left to true it's hard to to bring yourself back into it but I have seen the movie 3 times now and like uh I do think it's more funny than scary <laughs> that's sort of where I'm washing up and I don't think that was on purpose um Yeah, I do think though the scene you're right where Davidovich comes back and starts throwing punches back is the scene of the movie for me. Like a like I didn't necessarily see it coming, and just seeing the tables so flipped, so suddenly was the kind of thing that I was really looking for in in a you know well in any thriller, not just a De Palma one. Um, And I think just the way structurally it might be interesting. Although I, I won't lie, I'm not excited to watch the recut version, but. Because we see Lithgow so crazy so early, it's hard for us to accept that she doesn't know that her husband is crazy. He just seems to ooze crazy, (laughs) you know? Um, So I think maybe if we did start with her, we would be a little bit more grounded in her world first before we got into the Lithgow one, and that might actually help. But I don't know. De Palma's not as consistent as people give him credit. There's there's movies that like are really worth watching for a sequence. Like, seriously, watch the first 20 minutes of Snake Eyes, and then you're good, <laughs> right? And there's a few like that, where I, I really do believe he read the script, and he saw a sequence in it, and he thought, I can direct the hell out of this sequence. I'm going to make this look so amazing. And the rest of the movie is basically packaging that goes around this sequence. <laughs> um, the, the reason I was really disappointed with this is because... As much as I've been talking shit about it, I am a fan of De Palma. And I am a fan of Lithgow. So that might have worked against me too. I just... I, I set a higher bar for them. Yeah, no, I, I think... And maybe the other piece here is... But I was a fan of it before. And this is of two movies that I've
2: actually watched twice for your podcast. Because I rewatched it for the 90s show and I have another one that I watched for the 2000s show. Neither of them ended up making the list for me, but... Um, uh, but I, I think this was, again, I watched uh, Raising Cane's Sex Blast and Falling Down last of the movies we watched. And after all of like the darkness and heaviness of the other films, this was another one that felt like a very light, fun, you know, it's not fun everything's happening to these characters in here, but it, it felt like a a fun movie to watch and to watch the
0: style of. As opposed to all the other stuff that's kind of it's a little crunchy. Yeah.
2: Um, in the four movies
0: we are going to review in the next few minutes. No, absolutely, I will agree with you there. For all of the shit I've been talking about it, it is the most fun of the movies we're going to review today. It is certainly not the best, but it is the most fun. Uh, most, but h- how fun these movies are trying to be, I guess, becomes the question. <laughs> I Saw the Devil, uh, directed by Kim Ji-Woon. Like, when I'm watching horror movies, I'm not one of these fans that, like, seek out the most extreme, you know. In order to be impressed by horror, I don't need to see the most brutal eye gouge I've ever seen or the most intense violence I've ever seen. It's not about the violence for me. It's about the story and about peril and about the danger and about suspense and how things are going to resolve. I don't necessarily feel like the genre en masse needs to raise the bar for violence or grotesquerie every year just for the sake of doing it. I'm saying if you're going to use this level of extremity, use it with purpose. I guess I will say that I Saw the Devil does use its extremities with purpose. I think it's trying to be a high-minded kind of police thriller in the vein of Seven but it actually is significantly darker than seven, if you can believe that. It's so significantly darker than seven that I think the message gets lost in the ugliness of the movie. There's amazingly directed sequences in this movie, and there is absolutely repellent haunting things that you'll find incredibly hard to shake. Um, But in the end, I think the movie is good, and the gnarliness of it might actually, in the end, take away from the strengths that the movie does have. I'm going to end up giving a positive review to "I Saw the Devil," but it is with some extreme reservations, because off the top of my head, I can't think of a movie as repellent and ugly as this that is in my collection. So, <laughs> it's about. Uh, uh, uh... I'm sorry. Did you get rid of I Spit on Your Grave? I do have I Spit on Your Grave, um, but I, I don't think there's any focus or there's just exploitation in that movie. I think this movie is at least trying to do something with, with the exploitation or with the, the grotesquerie. Um, our main character works for like the their version of the CIA type of deal, and his pregnant girlfriend becomes the victim of a serial killer. And this of course destroys him and he decides that he wants to met out vengeance on this guy, and he's going to go off the grid to do it. And in this quest to seek out personal vengeance, he is given several opportunities to stop this man. Over in the part... Like, the morality is gray. He beats the shit out of and ruins three other guys who weren't actually guilty before he gets to the actual guilty party. So there's all sorts of gray in this movie. But the real real line that the movie crosses is when our hero, in quotation marks, refuses to take said revenge, instead bugs the guy, and decides to follow him through his life. And basically, anytime the guy shows up to commit a crime, he gets the beating of his life. Like, his vengeance is going to go on and on and on. He he can't be satisfied. And of course, this has serious Ugly repercussions. I have a lot of positive things to say, like I said, about the making of the film and about the acting in the film. Like, it's technically a marvelously executed film, but it made me feel terrible, Jason. It made me feel terrible watching it. I don't think it's supposed to make you feel good, but I think it does hold me at arm's length from the movie. That's where I start on I Saw the Devil.
2: This is the first one I saw, so I was like, okay, I'm in for uh, quite a ride.
0: Cause, <laughs> Had you seen uh, it before? Did,
2: this is my first time
0: seeing okay. it.
2: Um, uh, and, yeah, it, here, here's a question for you. Um, who's the devil, the protagonist or the antagonist?
0: Yes. Um, it's it like the... The serial killer is the villain, but uh, by the end of the movie, our hero, again in quotation marks, has way crossed the line. There's nothing left good in him at the end, and he knows it. Yeah. So <laughs> we're not left in a very happy place. He did, I guess, get his vengeance, but it cost him more than he wanted it to, and these were all decisions he made. Like, really... uh, the, the serial killer didn't specifically select that woman to destroy this cop. She was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not a justification for his acting actions. But really, our hero does more sadistic, calculated things than the serial killer after a point. He has reason to yes. do it. That's the difference. He has a reason that for the shit he's doing, other than he's crazy. <laughs> but... At the end of it, I feel sorry, sympathy for no nobody. Like, nobody wins in this movie, and by the end, you don't want anybody to win. And again, that's why this sour feeling, this, like, I-need-to-take-a-fucking-shower feeling that I would sometimes get after I watched a Todd Sollins film or something like that, or a Larry Clark film, that ugliness that makes me feel, like, almost gross for having watched the movie, even though there's spectacular stuff in the movie, it still makes me feel a, a distance away from it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I should be giving it a positive review because it got
2: under my skin in the same way that you're describing, and it takes a lot. It really takes a lot for me to be that thoroughly disturbed by a movie. I can be disturbed by, you know, certain scenes or having an emotional reaction to certain scenes in a movie, but there's the whole thing. What, what I was left with is... You Know, I'm very impressed. There's a sequence in a taxi, taxi wow. cab, like amazing suspense, and then this 360 shot of the killer who's trying to escape, killing the driver and this other poor schmuck who happens to be in the taxi cab at the time. Um, which is incredibly brutal, but it as like looking at that as a movie viewer, it's amazing. Like, it is. I just praise. To Palma for his style. The style of that is is great. I, I like revenge movies. I I, have, I don't know if I'm like have some of the same whatever as same agent as, as Mel Gibson or whatever. But <laughs> I I really like these revenge movies. And in the opening sequence, you're like, yeah, I want him to get this guy. And what's surprising is he gets
1: the guy so early in the film. Is like, well, what's going to happen now? Yeah. He's, he's gonna kill the guy and like I know this is a long film there's another two hours to go or whatever and then when we see oh no he wants to put this guy through hell um, where I get stuck though is tonally from scene to
2: scene it becomes a different movie so it's you know has this kind of grounded revenge it's an extreme but revenge thriller type of thing with this insane serial killer and uh, this Um, CIA guy or whatever pursuing him um, and making it difficult for him to be able to rape and murder women Uh, but when we get to those scenes where he beats the hell out of them he suddenly turns into some sort of a kung fu master and then I'm watching some sort of a a Jet Li film happening um, which feels completely different and removed from the crime thriller then there's some scenes which are just so over the top that you, you just mentioned about laughing during
0: Raising Cain. The discovery of the pregnant wife's body was so badly handled in this movie. Um, I thought it was because, really stupid that he found the ring too, specifically. Yeah. Like uh, They showed the ring fall to the grate and then they showed him walk to the grate like he knew it would be there and find it. That yeah. was clumsily handled. But what about um, the the guy who trips and her severed head
2: rolls out? Uh, yeah. with all these uh, media taking pictures and all these people surrounding, it felt like it was something out of like a you know a, a dark, absurdist comedy.
0: Well, and this uh, is yeah, this is where we go to the the needless extremities of the movie and that's a great example of it there's another scene where he takes a hammer to a guy's crotch that whole scene could be cut from the movie and like really nothing would be lost the first few guys that he questions before he gets to hit the actual serial killer is just more excess some of the victims to this left and right even that taxi cab sequence as amazing as it is like, our, our serial killer is trying to get away from a bad situation. He hops a cab, and he realizes that these guys aren't real cab drivers, that they're gonna mug him, so he takes control of the situation. But really, narratively, it has no place in this movie. Like, we're glad it's there because of how well it's executed, but uh, him getting the bug out of his body by taking laxatives and literally putting his hands into his shit and digging out the, the tracer... We didn't need to see it in that grotesque a detail, but the movie loves to show us every detail. When our hero's father gets killed, we didn't need to see his face fucking caved in like that. That was unnecessary. It was already a powerful and tragic scene. That fucking ridiculous, over the top, pornographic level of violence did not help us in this particular <clears throat> instance. Again, I'm really, it's tough because there's so much brilliant in a lot of ways about the making of the movie but there's so much just ugly about the psychology of the movie <laughs> like i on a technical aspect i feel like i'm duty bound to give it a thumbs up but on a psychological narrative aspect it's really messy so you're cutting out on me a little bit in there so i apologize if you already mentioned this but uh, the sequence with the cannibal right all the, the
2: cannibal that yeah that whole bit too is just like one extra thing. It's like, okay, here's a few more characters that he needs to go kill off in brutal ways there. Um, and the other thing is, like, and I, you know, I, I, um, I did a show with Scott Lehman and I, um, and for, for my show on these 80s comedies, and I talked about this, and I don't know why I was watching these movies and, and the movies for this show at the same time. <laughs> And there were more, multiple movies in that show and this show that revolved around shit.
1: <laughs> literal shit. And I, I, I just was like, we could cut that out of the, these movies completely and you don't lose a thing. Um, so I, 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 I like, I'm not sure I like, but I, I like the fact that the movie can still shock me and and give me that like horrible feeling because these are horrible characters in a horrible situation. But totally, I didn't get what they were going for in different sections of the movie. Uh, and it's so over the top that it's a mild thumbs down for me, which surprises me. Yet it's still kind of in the middle of my rankings because uh, there are a couple of movies in here that I.
0: We'll have a, a much harder time saying nice things about. So, yeah. well, I I mean I feel like I have been pretty honest about it, but I just want to drop one more thing to anybody listening and might be curious to watch the movie. Um, it is as an extreme as a stream of horror movie as I've encountered on this show. I mean I've talked about some of the French extreme movies like Martyrs and and High Tension, and this movie is on that level as far as really kind of disturbing me and putting me out. And again, I didn't like the emotional state that it put me in necessarily, but I have to respect its skill at putting me there. The the technical expertise of the movie is the thing to watch for. But if you are off-put by violence, if Seven was a little much for you, I would say stay the fuck far away from I Saw the Devil. This is like as gross as I would want a movie to ever get. I don't want to see the thriller that Out Darks. I saw the Devil. I have no fucking interest. So that's that's no, coming this, from it, me. <laughs> so the first ten minutes will tell you uh, whether this is for you or not. And the first ten minutes is a pregnant woman being raped and murdered yeah. in graphic detail. And there's just nothing fun about that. Yeah. It's just it's just ugly. Um,
2: but, unfortunately, there are sections of the world where that happens, and, uh, well, not just sections, like everywhere, yeah. uh, and it's a real thing, but it's not, as you said, if you're wanting to have a good time watching a movie and be entertained, this is not that movie. Agreed. You know what Ed Gaines said about women? What did Ed, said, Ed say? He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part of me wants to take her out, talk to her, be real nice and sweet and treat her right.
0: And what the other part of him think?
2: <laughs> what her head would look like on a stick.
0: <laughs> I like
2: to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Really impressive. <laughs> Another martini palm. <laughs> I know my uh, hater can be <laughs> erratic sometimes. Stupid dictate! What are you so fucking zany about? <laughs> I'm just a happy camper, rocking and a rolling. <laughs> if we you don't shut your go fucking go
1: mouth, go.
2: I will kill you. You're human? No, I'm in touch with you.
1: Oh So what do you do?
2: I'm into uh...
0: American Psycho, directed by Mary Heron and based off of a book by Brett Easton Ellis. And here's a confession that no English major would like to make. Um, around the time that the movie was coming out and all the fuss was being kicked up, I decided to take a look at the book. Apparently, because before I'd seen the movie, I knew that it was a pretty tough nut to crack. It was a fairly impenetrable movie to a lot of people. And I thought maybe reading the book would give me that insight that, that would help me, you know, put two and two together. And to my shame, the novel American Psycho became one of a handful of DNFs for me. I did not finish it. I found it absolutely boring, like punishingly boring to read. Honestly, that's how I felt about the book. So that changed my excitement level for the movie and like, what <laughs> what am I going to see here? And I, I did, I only made it maybe halfway into the book. So I ended up liking the movie, but not loving it. But I still sit here saying that I don't understand the movie completely, nor do I think the movie is completely understandable. But there is still a lot of really interesting stuff going on here that makes the movie, I think... A worthy watch. The big thing obviously is Christian Bale's performance, but also a lot of the secondary performances. This movie is just populated with people who either were or were about to become super famous in Hollywood. And a really interesting approach from uh, Willem Dafoe in a small supporting role as this investigator. Apparently Mary Heron recorded all of his scenes three times and once with him totally convinced that Lita was uh, guilty. And then once with him being completely indifferent, and once with him, you know, having no belief that Christian Bale had anything to do with these crimes at all. And depending on what she felt like editing, she would give that performance for the scene. So basically in Willem Dafoe, and I think trickily in a lot of the characters, we're not necessarily seeing the genuine character, but Bateman's perception of them. And when looking at the movie through that lens, that not just the world, not just the environments, not just the ridiculous place which it goes, but everything we see, everything we're told, are skewed by the American Psycho of the narrator. If you can get to that point, I think you can take the admittedly bumpy ride that is American Psycho. It's one of these movies that you you almost need to talk to somebody about after you've first seen it. You need to unpack. There's a lot here, clearly. Clearly. But the thing that you'll wrestle with, and that maybe to a limited degree I still do, is what does it all mean? But in the end of the day, I was entertained enough that I can endorse the product. It's not my favorite movie. I'm certainly not foaming at the mouth about it. But to me, it presented the ideas and the themes better than what I'd read of the book. And again, that's not a fair thing to say because I I didn't finish it. I didn't finish the book, but I did finish the movie. Where do you land on American Psycho? So,
2: this is the other movie I've watched twice for your podcast because I watched it for our 2000s episode with Lee. Um, because I saw it in theaters uh, and I was very in between on it. And if I was to be honest, a little bit pissed off at it too. Um, and maybe that's the reaction that they want. Uh, and so then I thought like over time it had a real cult following and it, oh this is one of the great movies of of the last however many years, 20 years so I thought well maybe you know you just watch a movie once uh, and I've learned from podcasting and revisiting movies that maybe my first impression wasn't the impression I should have for life so then I watched it again and I was like hell no this is not going on the, the horror top 25 or that we did or whatever um and top 30 was actually um and then i've watched again for this podcast and this is one of a couple movies that i started off in a very mediocre place with and i now am fully willing to admit that i despise this movie okay it is It thinks it's so clever, and it is really, really annoying, and at its heart is, uh, I actually think one of, uh, I know this led to bigger things for him, I think it's one of Christian Bale's worst performances. I see him acting through the whole thing, and I get that he's supposed to be this superficial, uh, faceless, Wall Street sociopath, but... It, it is just such a, like, look at me and look how clever I am as an actor. It took me a long time to get around to Christian Bale because I would see this in The Machinist and some other movies he was in where he was just, look at me, look at what a great actor and how method I am. Uh, and he was pre-method for this, this movie as well. But I, I really do not like his performance. There are things I do like. I think it works somewhat well as a satire and if it'd been like a full-on satire of the uh commercialism and superficiality of the of the 1980s as it is in some scenes those bits work really really well and poor chloe 70 is in this performance and she is marvelous every scene she's in she is fantastic and i think she's the the thing that you got back to about how every character is kind of seen through Bateman's eyes, I think she's the only character in there that we actually get to see a little bit of her. There's, you know, this scene where she's in a lot of danger and she doesn't necessarily know it. Whether she's actually in danger or not, I don't know at the end of this thing um, because of the wonderful twist at the end. But I... I, I could see like she, she really likes this guy but she's very shy and she's insecure and thinks he's much more worldly and much more important than she is and, uh, and she's the one who makes these discoveries about what a nut job Bateman is yeah. towards the end and that reaction towards the end is really good while everything else is blowing up into uh, a cacophony of stupidity when this sequence—and spoilers for the movie—but this is one a lot of people have seen, where he goes around, and he starts killing everybody in this ridiculous bloodbath, and then leaves this message, and, and then we are kind of finding out that none of this stuff happened. That this is—I don't know—if it's all in his head, and he's not exactly who he is, uh, and that's part of the confusion you're alluding to with with the film. I, and again, I, I didn't—I I haven't read any of the book, and. You didn't give it a ringing endorsement there, so I probably won't uh, pick up the book and to try to make sense of, of it. But I don't know
0: if, if the end of the book uh, clarifies what is going on, but uh, after three attempts at trying to love this movie as much as I'm supposed to love it, I've given up. Yeah.
2: I, I really don't like
0: American Psycho. It sounds like this it's is... an all-out disaster. It, it, again, it, it seems like it's a sub-theme of the show style over substance. I just don't think... I think it's an empty movie, actually. Hmm. Um, other than those few scenes of satire uh, and one really good supporting performance, I think most people can skip it. Yeah. I'd I, much rather watch Clockwork Orange, which is actually about something, than this. I listened to you, and it feels like you have the reaction to this movie that I had to, like, Natural Born Killers, where everybody was going on about yeah. how brilliant this movie was, and I was like, what are you fucking talking about? Yeah. Um as far as the interpretation of the movie, that's where I agree with you. Like the the muddy ending and what does it mean, and the movie not really even attempting to resolve it, and that being quote enough. No, you're not the Coen Brothers. This isn't no country for old men. Fuck you for even pretending. Right, but I will fundamentally. Oh, yeah, in relation to this movie. I mean, I I feel bad for the poems that we have to bring them up in the review of this movie. No, but it feels like they're going for a no country type of ending, but failing is what I'm trying to say. Um, No, but where I will fundamentally disagree with you is Christian Bale. To me, I say, yeah, his performance feels like a performance because it is. He's performing what he thinks a normal person looks and sounds like. There's nothing real there. Everything about him is artificial. He loves Top 40 music because he's supposed to love Top 40 music. I'm pretty sure in the book it was Genesis. and in the, in the movie, oh no, he does talk about Genesis in the movie as well, but in the movie he has that big um, Huey Lewis and the News rant. And uh, he seems like so passionate and so enthusiastic about it. And it, it really feels like a press release on Huey Lewis. There's nothing real. This is what people talk about, so this is what I'm going to talk about. Um, so his life is a performance and the only time we come close to seeing the real Patrick Bateman is when he's like in love with himself while he's like looking at himself, having sex in a mirror and just thinking that he's the fucking top shit of the world. Or when the mask slips, the phone call, when he leaves the message on his lawyer's machine, I'm sorry, that's great acting. I just disagree with you there. I think he's really fucking strong in that scene. But the the fact is that we just the fact that we can't or or don't understand him, he's unknowable. That's the cop-out of the movie. I don't think it's the execution or the acting. That's I think where we're fundamentally sort of different. That yeah, said, I world. have come to like the movie. I don't love the movie. And when I first watched the movie, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, I, I I got over the line to it, but it didn't touch my list of the best horrors of the decade. And I think it's one of these like it's interesting. There's a lot to chew on. There's a lot. There's a conversation to be had for sure. But it's hard to make what anyone will think of it. It's like almost a David Lynch movie, and David Lynch would be, you know, complimented for this. But it means everything and nothing. It, it, you know, like I I feel like I'm reviewing this the way that you review Lynch films. Right. That everybody thinks this is genius and there's really nothing behind it well
2: um yeah
0: that's what i was gonna say keep going yeah well one of the other problems i have is that the idea that patrick bayton doesn't have emotions that's clearly not true i don't understand that he clearly has emotions his emotions are just broken they're just wrong he doesn't care about things he should care about but when a rival has a better business card than he does he loses his fucking mind. And yeah, he gets really angry. And I don't even think he knows or or that the movie knows or attempts to explain why that is. Which is it? Is he a stoic statue with nothing going on behind him? Or is he utterly ruled by his emotions? Well, every, like everyone else, I think the truth probably lands somewhere in the middle. But He's he's an enigma. He's hard to understand. And it's not fun spending time in his brain. So maybe we shouldn't walk away from American Psycho feeling good. I'm absolutely sympathetic to your perspective on the movie. Um, I just think for the conversation and for the performances, there's enough here to recommend. But yeah, like I said, I'm not foaming at the mouth.
2: Yeah. A couple of things I just wanted to say there. I actually buy the scene with the, the, the business cards because that's all that's the satire where it works really well is image is everything Yeah. you know who you are and if you care about is is nothing and the fact that he is upstaged with the business cards by one of the guys and they all to me all look the same they all dress the same the business cards look the same but it's not as good as his Um, and they you know he has a misspelling in his Um, I I I like that idea the music thing blows up in their face because and I think this is because it's in the book. They have, he does one of those monologues about how great Whitney Houston is. Right. But Whitney Houston and her people would not authorize her mm-hmm. song to be in the movie. So we get this elevator music version of uh, one of her songs while he does the monologue. Mm-hmm. I think they probably should have just abandoned Whitney Houston and picked somebody else who was willing to have uh, the music and the lyrics in the movie. Because a lot of people pulled out because it was such a controversial
0: book and... And really, um, is it important it, that it be Whitney Houston? It just had to be something well, really uh, mainstream. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yeah and I, I just one more point to me, and this is
2: like, okay, you're, you're defending Bale, you're defending the movie and all that, and I appreciate that and I, there have been some movies where I like Christian Bale a lot. To me, the only thought that... The vibe I got, the only thought... That Mr. Christian Bale had with this
0: was, I'd like to thank the Academy because right. he holds a statue. That was the only thing he cared about, and it showed in the performance. Well, and, and other actors were better at, at um, masking that. Yeah, so and that's I, I that. that's a Christian Bale problem, though. That's not an American Psycho problem. Christian Bale it's has problem. performance. Right. His performance is too showy. Yeah. But generally, as a person and as an actor, he's an incredibly intense, takes himself and his work very seriously, arguably too seriously type of figure, right? And yeah, I don't think he does a movie, you know, we're never going to see him do another Reign of Fire, right? If this isn't a movie that's quote-unquote important or award-worthy, he's not going to lower himself to participate, right? Yeah. Well, compare that to Frances McDormand, who just won her third Best Actress Oscar. That's right all of the
2: deservant praise that she receives that, you know, she kind of tries to avoid it and she doesn't like the speeches or any of that and tries to make it as quick and painless as possible because she's about the stories and about the work and about serving the story. Christian Bale, uh, at least early in his career, I can't speak to now, seemed
0: like he was serving himself. Right. I think, yeah, again, this is becoming a discussion about Christian Bale instead of American Beauty, but he had the misfortune of, being in an amazing movie when he was, like, 12, right? He did Empire of the Sun with Steven fucking Spielberg, and he was really fucking good in it. Like, he was really good in that movie as a child actor. And he was in the middle of this big thing, and that was his introduction ticket to Hollywood. And after that, anything short of that must feel like, you know, not good enough. Um, I don't know. I I think we've made a pretty fair case about what the movie is. So someone who's listening is just going to have to make up their own mind. Again, I am not, I don't want to overpraise it, but I will say it's certainly interesting and it's certainly got some good acting in it. Not even just from Christian Bale. Like I said, the peripheral cast, I think, is quite strong as well. Great shot, Kevin. You're natural.
2: First he cries too much, then he's too quiet. And you see it as some kind of personal vendetta. You think I'm exaggerating? Listen, buddy, it's easy to misunderstand when you hear it out of context. Why would I not know the context? Franklin, pick up the phone.
1: He's just a sweet little, sweet... Little pick boy. up the
2: phone. Just a sweet little boy. That's what boys do.
0: So uh, Lynn Ramsey is a really interesting director, if you ask me. Uh, I recently just saw this movie she did called You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix, and it kind of took the wind out of me, I have to say. Uh, really liked it, and it's hard to say that you really like uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin because of what a fucking cold cup of coffee it is. I, uh, here's another one where I've actually read the book. I was uh, visiting the in-laws in B.C. a couple summers ago, and they happened to have the book there. And uh, it's just interesting going into it because the book is written as a series of letters that the Tilda Swinton character is writing to her husband. We don't actually know what's happened to her husband as the movie starts. And so, as it turns out, she's not really writing these letters to anyone but herself. But it's a series of letters because this woman has nobody to share her thoughts with. The community is aligned against her. Uh, Her immediate family members are dead and the rest of her family probably don't know what to do or how to talk to her anymore. It's a deeply, deeply troubling and disturbing story and uh, it's handled in an intensely confronting kind of way by (laughs) Lynn, Lynn Ramsey. I have a real like issue with bullying. I remember having a conversation with my son about bullying and uh, saying, you know, if you're having a problem with that at school, I know it doesn't feel like the right thing to do, but you are going to talk to your teacher and you got to talk to me because I will be really, I will have a real serious problem with you being bullied. And the only thing that would bother me more than my son being bullied would be to discover that my son is a bully. Like that would be, so fucking troubling to me. And that is what this movie is, except for replace the word bully with mass murderer. It's essentially like a a Columbine situation. He uses a bow and arrow instead of uh, a gun. But her son, who she's had a very difficult, very conflicting relationship, seemingly since birth, has had a deep coldness within him that she has seen and watched grow. And she feels like something was going to come of it, but there's no way she could predict or would want to predict or believe that this would happen. So her life has been destroyed. That's where we open on the movie. Her her life has been destroyed. And what is she going to do about it? How is she going to go on in the world now that everybody hates her because her son's responsible for all this death? He's been put away. He's crazy. He's insane. He's being punished. But so is she. It is a devastating, haunting, almost one-timer type of movie. But I'm impressed at how deeply it kind of hit me. Like I say, I do have this bully thing, like I I really react strongly to shit like that. I just I hate fucking bullies and the idea of being a parent Of something like someone who would do something like that and what that would do how hollowed out you would be and how you would even begin to attempt to pick up the pieces off of something like that it's just so unbelievably ugly that the movie almost shouldn't be like watchable (laughs) it is watchable but you're not gonna have fun with this movie no one is gonna have a good time watching we need to talk about Kevin but this is an example of them taking a hard issue Looking at it unflinchingly and doing it well. It's a tough movie, but it's a good movie. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but it definitely stayed with me. That's where I'm starting. Do you think that the movie sympathizes with Kevin? No, I don't think so. I think it sympathizes with Tilda Swinton. I have a very different take than you do on this, particularly with that semi-sentimental last scene, which mm-hmm. is completely and totally unearned. Um, this is a movie I think was,
2: well, I saw it in theaters because of the award season and Tilda Swinton, and they're very fortunate to have Tilda Swinton in this movie, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say too much negative about Tilda Swinton. Um, and I was okay with it a better than American psycho. So what shocked me is in this group of six movies watching it, how much I despise this movie from beginning to end. Mm. I feel like it's a movie that actually makes excuses for this kid. Um, I, uh, I, I, I find that uh, I don't care about or like any of the characters except for that poor a uh, little girl, the sister of Kevin's sister who gets treated so horribly and then her her fate is um, is sealed by the end. Um, and like Tilda's winning character, as good as she is, her character is really, really not likable. And Kevin was so not likable as well <clears throat> that I was <clears throat> I was like at points like yeah, I I wouldn't give up living in New York for this kid. Like you know, there's um and really for me to be like so and I, I know I'm I'm not really supposed to like him, but when he's a, a, the little kid too um and like all of the kind of the mother blame that that kind of happens in here. Um you have a really talented cast, John C. Riley playing the father. Uh Again, normally, pretty reliable actor. I think he does okay with the role. Uh, but yeah, he, it, like she gets all the heat, but and it's because he, you know spoilers doesn't survive the day that Kevin decides to kill everybody. But um, he is, I would say, more responsible for Kevin uh, than the mother, but it it, it felt like a, a bit of a sociological examination, which could be, Interesting, perhaps in the documentary of what creates um, a school shooter. But I kept thinking to myself, okay, there's this movie that Gus
0: Van Sant did called Elephant, which I fucking hate. Um, <laughs> you hate, and, I, I, and that's the, to me that's the school shooter movie that. Okay, then uh, you're right. We fundamentally disagree. <laughs> yeah. It gives
2: different. <laughs> it gives different perspectives on it, and I, I just. It, it, it was kind of like how the media and, and they still do it they try not to do it uh, when these tragedies happen they, they focus on um, the shooter but not on the victims Yeah, we don't get to know any of the victims here um, we're just focused so much on the school shooter and I feel no sympathy for him I don't like him as a kid I don't like him at any stage I don't like the actor uh, giving the performance um, uh and uh, I, I really want to like the mother, but there's points throughout where you just don't because like every wrong thing she does wrong, but she still is better than the father who's in complete denial and will not listen to Tilda Swinton at all throughout the film. Okay. And it, it was just a miserable experience watching this. I, I was, because I had seen it, once before, I was surprised at how much it diminished in my esteem from being kind of a, well, it wasn't quite as good as I thought it was going to be, to being like, I think it's
0: a bad movie, but perhaps it's my reading of the film is different than your reading. Yeah. No, um, this is and, the this is where we're going to have our disagreement. You thought we were going to fight over yeah. an American Psycho. We're going to fight over, we need to Not talk about yeah. <laughs> uh, because This is the one I was worried about, actually. Yeah. Um, The closest I come to agreeing with you in any of that, and I mostly fundamentally disagree with you, is Ezra Miller. Uh, Ezra Miller, I might agree with you. I think he's playing the evil more than he should. It's like the kid from The Omen. From the beginning, he's a psychopath. Uh, There's a scene, and I hate to go to this, where he's caught masturbating by his mother, and then he fucking makes eye contact with her and he's got this super furrowed like uh like loving it look on his face and like i don't understand like i don't know how we're supposed to think he's anything but like practically demonic after that scene it was just like really questionable john c Riley having blinders on about his son all he sees is a son and you know sure things can be a little bit tricky for you when you're a little kid but he's gonna play with him he's gonna get him his bow and arrow set in the backyard and everything's gonna work out fine because it's his kid and everything's gonna work out fine he's got blinders on Tilda Swinton doesn't have those blinders on she's seen it right away she senses it right away there is something fundamentally profoundly broken about Kevin from the second he was born And that's the position I think the film takes. So when you say, do you file this was a sympathetic picture about Kevin? In no fucking way do I think this was a sympathetic picture of Kevin. At the end of the movie when he says, he says sorrowfully he doesn't know why he did it. That's not an explanation or a vindication. He doesn't know why he did it. He just had to do something evil and he did it. There's no answer to it, just like there's no answer to anything else. Why I think that makes more sense to me than something as offensive and repugnant as Elephant. Where they're saying that these kids leave such empty, pointless, emotionless lives that nothing means anything to any of them. So, whatever, it doesn't matter. Oh, and let's throw in the two guys made out in the shower before it because, you know, all serial killers are fucking gay. I think Elephant is close to irresponsible, frankly, compared to We Need to Talk About Kevin. We Need to Talk About Kevin maybe loses some of the reality in that the, much like American Psycho, we can't solve the riddle of Kevin. There's no answering why Kevin is the way he is. He just is the way he is, and he's going to be in a mental institution for the rest of his life, and that's where it's going to be. I think the thing is, for me, and maybe I'm wrong, but as much as the movie's called We Need to Talk About Kevin, it's not about Kevin. It's about Tilda Swinton. It's about the ruin her life has become. It's about her coming home to her house being painted, splashed with red paint because somehow she was responsible. And sometimes she agrees with it because since Kevin was a child, she knew something was fundamentally broken about him. But unlike her husband, she wasn't able to keep the blinders on and say, my boy is perfect. My boy will turn out fine. We just need to love him more. We just need to give him more, and he'll sort himself out. She never believed it so she does feel guilty she does feel responsible but she doesn't deserve anything that has happened to her and the fact that especially in the book these are a series of letters that she's writing to her husband to try to explain what in her head what would happen going through like early encounters with kevin to like why she fundamentally disagreed with the way they were raising him but allowed it to continue and then when you get to the realization that these letters aren't even being sent to anyone because she has no one to send them to. It becomes this devastating tragedy. And I think the tragedy sometimes gets lost. The movie, doesn't focus on the disaster. It doesn't focus on him killing all the kids in the school. And you'd think that the, that's the big important issue. That's the thing that, you know, they would be about. No, they raise her focus on Tilda Swinton trying to, ...to solve the puzzle of what happened to her life. And it's unsolvable. And it's devastating. And I felt something. I didn't yep. feel the cold, detached, yep. nothing matters that I did in Elephant. I felt gross and ugly and pity and misery for these characters. I,
2: I wish I felt something for the characters. I, I, I really don't. Um, I, I, I feel like the movie, because... Uh, it was a difficult pregnancy and she um, you know she didn't really want to have a child then you know that excuses his behavior because he wasn't toilet trained and was intentionally you know messing himself until I don't know what was he five six years old um, uh, and, and he wouldn't talk all those years like that's thats means that you know he's going to be a psychopath and that excuses the actions that it was all that but part of the problem is like the book you're describing to me sounds way 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 more
0: interesting than this movie and maybe um, i benefited and, from and having read especially it with the, the surprise of you know okay that there's nobody other at the other end of these letters yeah and that way of trying to sort things out sounds way 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 more interesting to me um than than this film uh I'm not sure that like there's a the guilt and everything, but till this one tries to alert her husband, maybe she should have alerted the police or some other authorities ahead of time, but she tries and nobody listens to her and they all excuse Kevin's behavior. And he's very good at being trained, especially gets older and deceiving
2: other people. Um, but yeah, I, like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I wish that there was somebody I could cling on to, uh, but that little girl's so only in a few scenes in the movie, and I just feel so horrible for her, but that's all. That's the only place that my heart went in this movie, and I I wasn't connecting this perhaps because we've talked about bullying and we've talked about movies with that, particularly the Stephen King movies, and maybe if I had that personal connection and I was thinking of it through that lens, I might have been able to get behind this movie more. And maybe I, as painful as it is, I need to watch
0: this movie again, but <laughs> I, I just... The parental really, thing, really as a parent, it, right? I think it, it, it hit me a little harder, maybe, because yeah. I do have two kids, and I am sensitive to bullying. I don't think either of my kids are a psycho, but, again, like it's it's almost as big or a bigger fear of like my, my my kids being a victim of something as them being a perpetrator of it, right? All really so that'd be terrible, yeah. No. And I, I think I that... Agree. And you're, yeah, looking at the movie through that lens I can understand
2: like your I I can tell it's an emotional type of a, a reaction to the movie for you and I always feel like I do this to you like these are <laughs> movies that are important to you but I, 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 I shit all over them
0: and I don't mean to um, uh,
2: and this is the other movie that has a lot of shit in it by the way and I just yep. was like I, I, I maybe this is interesting and from a you know child psychology point of view but I just really could have done without all of those scenes and it was just Spent so much time on that. I I feel like there was a good movie to be made about this issue, but I don't think that this was a very good movie. And maybe it's wrong to bring up Elephant because stylistically it's so different from, yeah. from 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 this film. But uh, I, I at the end of Elephant, I was I was disturbed, but impressed with with what Gus Van Sant did. And at the time, working in a high school, I saw some things as, as much as we might not like to admit it, that seemed pretty true to life. Uh, unfortunately, and this, and this might be true
0: to life if they did a study of, um, you know, people who have committed these mass murders and what they were like as children. But I really had a horrible time watching this, and like I had a better time watching I Saw the Devil <laughs> than this. I mean, that's that's how well, no, it's, it. I did not like this film. So. I get it though, it's psychologically poisonous. It is such an ugly story, like, it just is. The subject alone is ugly, it's like apt pupil level gross. Just like you, you, you don't really want to spend time with these people, but it is interesting. But I mean, I don't think we're going to convince. I don't think we're going to convince each other. But I think we can leave it on a happier note. Did you hear the rumors that Lynn Ramsey is supposedly going to be directing an adaptation of The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon by Stephen King? I've been waiting for a movie version of that for a long time. So, like, I know you weren't a fan of this movie, movie. but like, I think that director with that book could be really interesting. you
2: mentioned the Joaquin Phoenix film.
0: Uh, I love that one. Yeah. That's, that's a treasure. Uh, it was a weird January release. That's one of Joaquin Phoenix's best performances. Um, I I like Lynn Ramsey. I like the other stuff. This one, though, is the the one for me that, again, more people like this and it's true I'm wrong about this, I guess. Yeah. But I, I feel weird that the two movies that I'm most hard on are ones that are probably the most liked movies of the six that we're looking at right well uh again i think we've given the listeners a fair shake of what they're getting themselves into
2: She's your
1: sister. I feel like I know you. Like, like I've known you for a long time.
0: I feel like I've known you forever and ever. Okay. Alright, we're going to talk about Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. This is directed by John McNaughton interestingly it was released in 1990 but it was made almost three years earlier so uh i I think i included it in the best of the 90s but there are certain schools of thoughts that say it should have been in the 80s or whatever but i don't know that that particularly matters um i remember talking to you about michael rooker i think during the dark half review years ago (laughs) about how sometimes i miss old school michael rooker the Michael Rooker who would play parts close to his chest, who was like closer to a David Morse style, like brooding character actor, than the over the top screaming, you know, Merle from Walking Dead, Guardians of the Galaxy, screaming at the screen, Look at me, look at me. He's good at that, and sometimes that's appropriate. But I think he's really good at the sort of seething under the surface kind of tension. And that's what is built into this movie henry portrait of a serial killer i don't think anybody had seen michael rooker at the time he'd like done some stage plays but i don't think he'd done any movies or if it was they were really small parts and it's a portrait it's inspired by a real guy i think henry lee lucas but uh or but the movie isn't specifically based off of it it's just sort of taking liberties and the sort of strange psychology of him and once again, we're we're dealing with a fundamentally broken person. Like with we we need to talk about Kevin with American Psycho, and that uh, sometimes he's got this energy, this emotion that's built up in him, where he feels like he just needs to kill someone, and he does. Yep. <laughs> the real yep. strange thing about this is that he ends up meeting somebody and connecting with them. Like he ends up finding a compatriot who is only just slightly less (laughs) crazy and evil than he is. And both of them by themselves would be bad enough, but somehow the two of them together create a perfect storm of evil. And it's all given to us in this really matter of fact, plain spoken, there's nothing flashy about the direction at all. We're just gonna watch this take place with the indifferent eyes of like a nature documentary. It doesn't... In some level, it doesn't ask for our contempt or our sympathy. It just says, this is the shit that happens in the world. Isn't that crazy? Now is that enough for a movie? I don't know, but (laughs) this movie is haunting. (laughs) This movie is haunting. I, I have a feeling like, like it or hate it, once you've seen it, like, it'll stay with you. It leaves an impression. I think I was too young for it when I first saw it, so I kind of just got locked into like it was a kind of a grown-up slasher movie or something like that. I think as I've gotten older, I agree that there is more to it, but once again, I'm going to fall back to a lesser degree than I did on I Saw the Devil, where I get what the movie's doing, I get what they have to say, and I get that they're doing well, but overwhelmingly the feeling that i have from watching this movie is that it makes me feel bad it makes me feel bad about the world it makes me feel bad about humanity it makes me feel bad that this movie needs to exist or does exist but it's really well fucking done it is really well fucking done it's hard to say that i like it but it's really good at being what it is and I think it has an isolated sequence with the two guys watching their handiwork on a, on a videotape that is an isolated horror movie sequence for the ages. Like, if the rest of the movie doesn't work for you, that scene stands alone as a statement in of itself. I think the movie has more to it as well. But, um, again, hard movie to like, but I have to give it its points. It's good at being what it is. So, again, a <laughs> a, a conflicted thumbs up about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, this is the theme of this show a little bit. Um, I'll start off with something light, just to, <laughs> to lighten the mood before we get into it. The title,
2: Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, it reminds me of uh, a, a Simpsons episode where Homer is watching this badly done TV movie about this incident that happened to him where he gets accused of sexual harassment he goes, ooh, portrait, sounds classy (laughs) and yeah, it sounds classy but this isn't a British costume drama or anything Um, Yeah. uh, when I first became aware of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer and I would label it as an 80s movie I didn't consider it for the 90s even though it It was delayed all those years being released in theaters. Um, But it was 86, I believe, that they made it. Um, I was up at the lake, and they would have this used bookstore, but they also uh, rented some movies. And there was this one movie that that was there, same kind of curiosity as Raising Cain, anything that's restricted, and I'm becoming a horror fan, looks really interesting to me at this stage. And it said restricted absolutely nobody under 18 is allowed to rent this movie it was like and that's the guy from jfk which is my favorite movie i need to see this movie now and then it took a little while and i eventually rented it on vhs or something and um uh and it yeah it, it, it is brutal um but i've always had kind of a positive impression of it and michael rooker is outstanding because you think it's going to be a flashy, over-the-top type of psychopathic role, but we, we see him, and we see the, like this montage at the beginning where we see all the damage he's done, and he's this quiet, somewhat shy figure that's like sitting in this kitchen table, um, and and when he is meeting uh, his his uh, his buddy there and his buddy's sister. For the first time and he comes across as more of a gentleman than uh it's not sister it's cousin I think yeah uh his buddy's cousin um then it's
0: like this is this is a serial killer this is a psychopath so everything is inside which is such an interesting choice way scarier and way more interesting than sort of a hammy over the top type of a serial killer character and probably a little bit more realistic um And he, you know, he he does seem, you know, somewhat charming, but then he goes off because he has to get stuff out of his system. He goes off with his buddy and they pick up prostitutes, have sex with them, and then murder them. Yep. Um, And just matter of factly, in a very cold manner. And um, the Tom Tells character seems to think it's kind of (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. I find him... Like it, and I guess it works well. The, the dynamic—he's a little bit more what I would see in most movies about psychopaths.
2: He seems, in some ways, he's not as smart, and by, maybe because of that, he seems super dangerous because he is impulsive with what he does. I think Henry has this need to kill, but he's somewhat like in control of it, and he he knows how how to approach it, and then when. You know, stuff goes really bad in the third act of the film. He also knows how to deal with things, and he can also present it as a reasonable way of dealing with things. Um, with uh, with that cousin character, like they, it's a very strange romance that they have. But I
0: love those scenes in the kitchen. Like the acting is so good between those those two actors. I want to get her name here. Um, Tracy Arnold.
2: Tracy Arnold, yeah. Tracy Arnold is Becky. I really like her performance as well. Um, I, I, I did find um, uh, Otis, Tom polls to be a, a little bit showy. I don't think he was as good as as the other two in the film. But Rooker anchors the film so well that this is. I almost feel like like in kind of in as far as um, getting consideration beyond. Uh, some sort of a a release or whatever. This is the type of performance that would get awards attention in 2021, perhaps. I'm not sure it would be made quite the way that it is in 2021. Uh, But in the 80s, it was given an X rating, and McNaughton said, like, what can I do to trim it down to make an R rating? You can do nothing. We are not going to release this film. So he had to go the unrated and had to wait four years uh, and then just kind of now, to Siskel and Ebert's credit, we were talking uh, you know, off-mic off a little bit about their old reviews. They both championed this film Yeah, when they saw it. It premiered at the Chicago Film Festival, and Roger Ebert in particular was blown away by the film and Michael Rooker's performance. Because as I understand it, he was working as a custodian, I think, at the time. And he actually brought his, his actual work clothes in and used them to right. play Henry. He had, like, one other shirt in that, and that, that's that's what he used. Um, so this was a hungry Michael Rooker who was not known for all of these villainous characters he's played over the years. And you're right, there's more than the chari- character or caricature that he sometimes plays. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of it. Um, so I really like this movie. I, I do have... It was on a shoestring budget, and I think maybe that's where some of my problems with it are, some scenes work better than others, um, there's, you know, the, the scene with, there was that, uh, the TV guy that they go in and see, they're trying to get that equipment, and then he starts insulting them, um, uh, I, I thought there was some pretty hammy acting in there, yeah. I mean, the death that happened
0: right after that is really creative, and so the payoff to the scene's good, but... Getting there, there's just some clunky scenes along the way a little bit. And I think you're right. That has to do with the low budget uh, uh, and uh, approach, sort of lo-fi grain of the film. Um, I wanted to, to go back to... I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Are you finished there? I wanted, I wanted to talk about Tom Tiles a little bit more because uh, I agree with you that his performance is bigger and not as strong as Michael Rooker's, but I think they consciously count, cast him as a counterpoint to Michael Rooker. Yeah. You might recognize Toles, he played the Cooper character in the remake of Night of the Living Dead and he's also pretty okay. big in, in that movie too. I think that he he's well cast here because yeah he's a little bit big but he needs to be. Really he's just as big a monster as Henry is but Henry gets increasingly disgusted with Otis. It's, it's not that he kills people, it's how he does it. It's how like... I'm, yeah. Like, he he has no plan, he has no polish, he has no, you know, nothing to him, it's just like base instincts. And this seems to fundamentally disgust Henry, which is kind of hilarious considering how fucking evil Henry is. And I think the uncompromising thing about the movie is, is that we're fine with Henry killing Otis. We have no fucking problem with that. Yeah. But why the girl? Why the girl? And that's Otis what we're left with. Really that's a really clever way that they do that. That that could have been
2: uh, exploited, and right. it could have been over the top. It's disturbing the way that 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 one's way more disturbing. Um, but Otis Otis is uh, you know again another repressed sexual deviant, and he's trying to rape his cousin, and and that's when kind of things go wrong there I mean a lot of things are wrong before that but as far as uh, that connect strange connection or, or friendship that they add which leads to uh, uh, the the there and I just think like Henry knows how to go around and get away with what he's doing and Otis is going to bring the heat on him eventually Yeah, you know just because he is he is like an uh, an animal he just he just acts on his sexual impulses or as violent impulses Um, but it's yeah it's a small movie but it is way like considering the budget that some of the other movies we've talked about had um, you know this wasn't like having Tilda Swinton uh, in her prime or having all of the talented people behind American Psycho you know and the two movies that are trying to be flashy about how what you know how great they are and how important they are this movie had nobody, even the producers themselves, were going to not even release it on straight to video. Yeah,
0: <laughs> right. Well, they were, They were. It was going to be a lost film. We'll take they, the loss. It, yeah. Way, way better than those, those other movies. So,
2: um, I guess, like you know, my my problems with it are pretty small compared to my my fundamental distaste of the bigger movies that I just gave, took a big giant. You know what? On so, um, I I I would I wouldn't recommend this to just anybody because it is a disturbing film. Um, but I would much rather people gave money uh, to see Henry Portrait of a serial killer than to give any more money towards American Psycho. I think we're gonna be in different places on
1: you know we need to talk about Kevin. We don't need to bring that up again. But uh, I I don't
2: want to put any more of my money or streaming or whatever towards that film but i would watch as dark as it is because it's such a fascinating performance by michael rooker i would watch henry porter portrait of a serial killer again yeah um it's, it's a movie that's just always been in the back of my mind and that was another one of the uh movies that i was excited to grab this show years ago but then i I I stopped myself because I thought well, it's too obvious that I'm going for the the serial killer movies because that's I'm my you know movie fan of the 90s and it's too obvious Um, but it is yeah it is is a very very good
0: film yeah Um, and again I I appreciate the restraint I think when the the reason the producers were pissed is that like they wanted a horror movie and McNaughton made a fucking capital H horror movie and they no we meant like you know a dumb slasher movie or a a monster jumps out of a closet movie what is this this makes us feel terrible so like that warning you gave like this is not for everyone i think that could safely be said for all of the movies on the list but definitely there is something about the reality with which things are presented in henry that make them horrifying and some of the ambiguity still remains like at the end of the day i asked why did he kill the girl um Well, he's killed Otis and she's related, he's related to her. So that's a really close connection. Most of the times he would kill people that were strangers to him or, you know, prostitutes or vagrants, you know, like people that uh, would be hard to find a back trail on and, 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 you know, investigate. So on one level you say, well, maybe he killed her because he had to cover up the crime and he can't start a life with her now that he's committed this murder. But it's also just completely believable that henry would just kill her because it just got into his head that it was time to kill her like and again we had seen some brutal shit in that movie but one of the most excruciating shots of the movie is him leaving a piece of luggage on the side of the highway because we know what it means she's in there yeah so i yeah. admire its restraint <clears throat> and uh and even though i don't think it has all the answers or really any answers for us And maybe that should be frustrating, but that just adds to the horror, you know? I I have a bit of a theory. It goes back to, I said, one of the themes is um, males with sexual repression issues. I I think another reason that
2: he kills her is because he has no problem, for some reason, going off and having sex with a prostitute, but then killing her right after. But he feels something real for her, but... When they start to come close to having sex, he's not able. He's feeling impotent. Yeah, he can't express that, and he doesn't want to um, delve into whatever that is in his background. Uh, and it's easier to kill her
0: off and remove himself from the chance at you know falling in love and happiness. That's a little bit of my take on and on it's why completely valid. I, like we cover up the crime too, but I, I just. I feel like she saw it as self-defense, and she goes along with the mutilation of it's very graphic of, yeah. uh, of, of Opus. And um, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting theories, and I think it's a you know. And they're all valid. Like we I'm just sure presented. Very, very good, uh, we just presented three very reasonable theories as to why it happened, and who knows which one is the truth. But yeah. I think that's a strength. jason dubray thanks for coming on my podcast again thanks for scrapping with me again no hard feelings we're allowed to have differences of opinion that's okay um, and if any list of movies is going to you know stir up some emotions i think these ones are it you know it would be weird to watch these six movies and be completely fine <laughs> i think i think like yeah i definitely could go with some lighter fare after these movies so thanks for putting yourself through it um I think we're going to have very different lists, but I'm still very curious to hear. Yes. What was your least favorite of these movies and why? And I really wanted to like all the movies. I want to say that I hate when I get
2: that negative about a couple of movies, but they stirred up some sort of an emotion in me, and, you know, that's what happens. Uh, not surprisingly, number six is we need to talk about Kevin. I just had, I had couldn't cling on to anything with it that... Uh, it it really diminishing returns and I, I am going to watch it again from your perspective and maybe I'll come to a different place with it because I respect your opinion a lot. Um, number five is American psycho. Uh, that's one I I have to say I have given up on. I I just don't think it's, I, I, it's, it, it makes it look like it's about a bunch of stuff. I think it's kind of an empty movie and Christian Bale's performance is even more empty. Um, And I like Christian Bale. I will say nice things about him in other reviews and other movies. If we talk about him on the show in the future, but not this one. Uh, Then I went with uh, fourth. I saw the Devil. I'm so. I. It's such an unclean movie, but that's not the reason it's ranked low. I'm surprised. I was kind of in the middle. It's like a two and a half star review for me because I again I admire the techniques and the filmmaking and. The kind of down to earth scenes, but then it will switch styles. It just left me confusing. And, and unfortunately, there's a scene, a very serious scene where I'm laughing, which uh, was a problem for you in another movie we're talking about. So for me, it's number four. I did flip these around a little bit as we were talking. Um, Raising Cain, I'm putting it three, all right? I like it a lot more than you do. I, I will watch any Brian De Palma movie. Uh, I don't think it's his worst, uh, but I definitely don't think it's his best. There are problems. And performance performances, maybe another actor could have dealt with those multiple personalities without some of those unintentional laughs that you're talking about. Um, but that, that's the only one I would say a lot of people can, could see, and they would probably still be able to have a decent time of it. Yeah. It's not as disturbing as the other five movies number two for me is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, it's, it's close but I, it's a little film um, and just one of the stars has emerged as a strong character actor but it's maybe Michael Rooker's best performance I might argue uh, and it was kind of the first one he got attention for. I would encourage people if you can take this type of dark film to seek it out and I want people to kind of Think about this movie a little bit more. Maybe just watch it once, and that's fine. If these movies
0: and this topic doesn't appeal to you, stay away from maybe all of them. Yeah. Uh, and number one is falling down. Uh, Michael Douglas's performance is amazing. I like Devall's performance more than you do. Uh, I like the dark satire of it, but it is
2: an important film, and I think it's even more relevant in 2021 than in 19. I think it was 1993 that it came out. Uh, and they were shooting it among the you know the times of the L.A. riots, which yeah. was a very bold time as well. Um, but it represents the psyche of a certain type of person who has
0: become very prominent um, in our world now. So that's my list. It's a solid list. It's funny. I, I think we only match in one spot, Lyndon. That's a pain in the ass, too, because then at least we could have gone zero for six. <laughs> uh, look. I did put Raising Air, uh, raising Arizona... <laughs> I did put Raising Cain... Oh, no, <laughs> not Raising Arizona! Raising <laughs> Kane at the bottom. But here's two reasons why maybe this is counterfeit. It is the least serious of the movies we're talking about. I think the goals of Raising Cain is to be, like, a fun, entertaining thriller. They're not trying to, like delve into the darkness corners of your soul and the way some of these are. Maybe that would have been better for the movie, like I said, if they actually took the Doctor character seriously, but then who wants to watch a movie about child abuse? But maybe part of the problem over and above me just setting the bar too high because I like Lithgow and I like De Palma is that it's not well matched with the rest of the list. So I'm putting it at the bottom, but I'm putting that caveat with that. So maybe this is more my fault than the movie's fault but after that is actually where things started to get tough for me in fifth place. Surprisingly, I am going to put American psycho, even though like I came around to endorsing it. Um, I came around to endorsing it. I didn't like the book and I wasn't sure what I felt of the movie, but I came back to the movie and I ended up finding more to like, but (laughs) again, that's a lot of work to ask of somebody to get behind a movie. Um, I got there with it, but it took a bit of a walk, so it's in fifth place. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin goes into fourth place. I think it's a good movie, but like my want to revisit it is like zero <laughs> like it's like a one timer for me it's I found it effective I found it about something, but I just it's so brutal it's so disgusting to me like i've said I've thrown off the Certain filmmakers, right Lars von Trier, Larry Clark, Todd Sollins, I'm not interested in their next movie. They've just made me feel bad too many times. If every Lynn Ramsey movie was we need to talk about Kevin, I might put her in that category, but I'm not i like she did another movie that's about child abuse, like I was talking about the uh and uh it's nowhere near as brutal to watch as this one is. But i think it's very conscious about what it's doing even in the choice of casting john c reilly I, you're right i don't know how well he fits into the movie but i think she did that because it would hurt more because we love john c Riley, and it would just hurt to see that happen to him more and it's a movie that's trying to hurt you and it does so it's successful but i don't get as much joy out of it because of how successful it is so it made it all the way to the um In third position, which maybe seems high, uh, I saw the devil. (laughs) Um, Again, I respect the movie and am repelled by the movie at the same time. There's things to love and there's things that just seem like, why did you make that choice? We were in a good place, but then this happened. But it was amazingly executed. And our hero isn't a hero and the movie is smart enough to know it. Like, there's such you're talking about the tonally being all over the place I find that happens a lot of times with movies from overseas like they'll, it's sort of a drama but it's sort of a thriller and it's got these really absurd funny things like the the host that monster movie that I like so much I find is very guilty of that it goes from melodrama to absurd comedy to bloody monster movie from scene to scene and you get whiplash while you're watching it and I think that that is the same thing that can be said about I Saw the Devil
2: like, this
0: could have been the, the top of my list. It could have been the bottom of my list. It's, it's a very really strange film. It's tough to land on. So I'm putting Falling Down in second place. Because I... And this... the One and two were the real tough ones for me. Um, yeah, I don't... It's, it's tough. I think that Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer gets number one because I think it most successfully and fully explores the subject is. But both of the movies, I think, have that one little weakness to them. You're right, there's a few scenes in Henry the Portrait of a Serial Killer where some of the acting is a little bit won- wonky. Or there's a, a, a line that a character gives. It's like, no one would say that unless they wanted to get killed by this guy, right? That happens. In Falling Down, it's Duvall's last day before he retires. And it's just, that's such a cliche that I'm kind of shocked that they included it. I got over it. But both of the movies have that one thing. So, like, if I gave ties, this would be a list where I'd be tempted to give it a tie. But almost arbitrarily, I put Falling Down in second place and Henry in first. So, did we go zero for six there? Or was it... Uh, I, I think we talked... Uh, it was American Psycho. It was American Psycho. Yeah, yeah. there it was. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was just one. direct. <laughs> I already have one zero for six. I'll um, <laughs> never... Well, maybe it'll be long after you've given up trying, and it'll surprise both of us. Well, I don't know that I'm trying, I guess. Well, I once again want to thank you for doing one of the darkest lists in rank and review history. So, uh, (laughs) anytime. I'm glad that you were doing 80s comedies as well, as sort of an antidote to this. Um, Yeah. I was genuinely not looking forward to watching we need to talk about kevin again like i put it off. <laughs> so yeah. that's how strong that movie is like i do think it is good at doing what it's doing but it did not make me feel nice at all i put it off but i wanted to end with raising Kane and uh and falling down because i i kind of knew what i was getting with those and those are the two quote unquote most fun i think of the list down. going down fun. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> All right, brother. I'm going to let you go, but everybody listening should check out the shelf shedding movie show with host Jason Dubray. Do it. Be well, brother. And there it was, episode 193 is finished, In the Rear View Mirror. Was this conversation about madness anything more than madness itself? Well, send me feedback at at gmail.com to let me know. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And as always, you can hear Jason DeBray and his podcast, The Shelf Shedding Movie Show. And uh, he's always been very supportive and really a great guest to have on the show, so... Let's send some love to Mister Dubray and to his podcast. As always, Rankin Review drops every other Wednesday. And if you need more to jam into your ears, other than the shelf-shedding movie podcast, then maybe think about Cobwebs, a Gothic horror podcast, or A Lifetime of Hallmark, or The Terror Table podcast. There are friendly shows to rank and review. Remember them, but don't forget to tune in to episode one ninety four. I appreciate you guys.